This is the Cine Snob Podcast. Hi there. Welcome to episode 222 of the Cine Snob Podcast. My name is Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Cody, you are in a brand new apartment. I am, yeah. Uh, for uh, after, <laughs> after podcasting out of my kitchen for the last couple of years, um, I'm glad to be in my office slash podcast room now. So, um, is that a uh, is that a pocket door behind you? Um, is that Th- the that one being that's... that being the one that slides into the wall? It is, yeah. Fancy. Fancy. Yeah, that's my that's a closet. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's nice. I've uh, you know, I I work from home and have worked from home for the past like you know six years. So, um, I finally reached a point where I needed a separate room to work out of because it was just impossible for me. Now, uh, when you moved, was it uh, how how long did it take you? Was it a pretty big ordeal, or? Well, uh, yeah, it was, but I had a I had a moving um, mishap that happened to me. Uh oh. Uh, where so I went through an apartment locator um, uh-huh. and got some free movers and stuff. So oh. I booked my move like six weeks ago. And, um, and then on like the week, like the week before the move, nobody had contacted me from the moving company. I'm like, what the fuck is going, like, shouldn't you be confirming the time and all of this? So I started calling them and nobody was answering. Nobody was returning calls. So on the day of the move, I called, uh, the apartment locator. I'm like, so has anyone that you've referred to this place been having problems? Like any clients that you've had? And they're like, oh yeah, they went under. (laughs) and i'm like excuse me (laughs) so the moving company that i hired went out of business did not think to tell me this and on the day of my move i had no movers so uh that was fun i've i've moved three times i think i've never i've never ever used movers it's always really me yeah i i'm that kind of guy though like i'm if I I'm not gonna pay for something that I can that I feel like I can do myself and destroy my back doing it. So, so that includes like furniture and stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's been like, uh, you know, my dad and my brother helping. Yeah, you know, that's always what it's been, but it's never been. I've never hired professional movers. Well, I didn't. I didn't pay for it, so I'm. You know. So what happened? Did did they send a like a backup crew or something? Yeah, the the, the uh, apartment locator had a second crew that they had been using recently, and they were able to fit me in the next morning. So um, my my move got delayed by a day, but it was an ordeal. I I just uh, you know I did not realize how much shit I own um, <laughs> until I'm like Jesus Christ, how many more boxes are there? And just it just stuff just kept coming. So uh, did you have to uh, to go to any like uh, additional storage, or is your place big enough for everything? Um, I do have, yeah, I have a, I have a storage place, um, that I didn't even go near this time around. So I've got a full storage place plus all this stuff here. Oh, good. Uh, I need to do a good purging, but I have not, uh, yet been able to do so. So you've had stuff in storage before you even moved. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. That's a good time that you're just paying for someone to hold your crap. It's good. It's, life is good like that. We've got one too, but yeah, you know. Um, so in the meantime, though, uh, you did have a chance to head to Fantastic Fest. Yeah. Um, which I believe was, was it all virtual last year or did it not happen last year? I don't remember. I believe that it did not happen last year. If okay. I'm 
if I'm or actually it was virtual last year. Excuse me. It, I, I, I did not do the virtual version. It was only virtual last year. Okay, so but this is uh, this came back Fantastic Fest. I haven't been in a few years, mm-hmm. uh, but it's back as sort of a hybrid. Is it a hybrid virtual in person or was it all in person? I forget. So basically, the way that it worked for the attendees there were, was that it was about six days or seven days of all in person, and then from the from the last day of the festival until October 11th, it's an at home version. So. Um, you have the chance to go in person, and then um, when the in-person festival part ends, um, some of the movies go to the at-home version. Now, I saw you you uh, you were at some sort of uh, event, or what was the the movie on uh, this past week? You posted a photo of it with our, I, I believe, our friend Brian was there too. Oh, uh, uh, was that something? We were just at a movie. We, yeah, it was just at the beginning of of, of our screening day. Um, oh, okay, at, okay. At I didn't know it was a yeah. specific event. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. Sorry events. to blow up your spot there, Cody. And, oh no, no, it's 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 oh. fine. It's uh, it was just nothing. So. <laughs> oh well, okay. Yeah. Never mind. I thought it was. I thought it was an event, but maybe I'm just used to seeing events being mm-hmm. shared. But anyway, so how'd it go? How was the fest this year? It was good. You know, it was, um, you know, it's a, was a little bit different than, than what you normally expect. You know, they, the people at Fantastic Fest, much to the, I think, frustration of some of the attendees there, you know, took measures to make it as safe as possible. There were buffer seats everywhere. So you, um, you know, you couldn't sit next to anyone unless you, you know, purchased tickets with them. The press was all buffered. So it was just one press member every other seat, um, mm-hmm. which was, you know, it makes you feel safe during a pandemic to, you know, I, I understand there were maybe some difficulties ticketing wise, but you know, it really made me feel as comfortable as possible in that situation. And masks were required while watching the movie and stuff. But um, you know, I, I had, I think, I had a mixed experience with the films this time around. Um, I've, there's still a lot I want to get into that we'll cover next week at the at home version. But um, we can definitely talk about a few of the films that we saw. Or, so, what saw. was what was the what was what's the best film you saw at the at the festival? So, so I think it's it's somewhere in between. Like nothing really blew me away so far, but I think there were two movies that I think um, there's there's there was a lot of good in. Um, one was um, a movie called Hellbender, um, which was a movie. If you recall, um, a little while back last year, we covered a, a film called The Deeper You Dig. Um, it was a real low budget Shutter movie made by like this family. It was like a husband, wife, and daughter, and they were like the only three people in it. And it, it like it was it was like you could tell that it was super low budget, but it had like these really cool, be, like beautiful shots and in like snowy upstate New York, and um, it had some like real creepy vibes to it. Um, and Hellbender is their new movie, um, really focused on um, the the mother daughter relationship. Um, again, Toby Poser and Zelda Adams, the um, the mother and daughter here and and it's cool because it is it, it's like that family affair thing where like the, like the daughter had a screenwriting credit on it she was the drone operator for the camera and you know the dad is 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 doing the directing and editing and sound design and it, you know it's 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 it, it's it's really cool to see this family just kind of every every year shuffle off and, and make a movie in their isolated home and and then put it out you know it's rough around the edges but you know this this was covering this mother daughter relationship and um you know i think it i think it gets by on being um you know uh, really interesting in terms of the vibes there's some pretty good humor in there as well um i don't think it was as as good as the deeper you dig but i think that there is some really enjoyable stuff in there i don't remember the deeper you dig i don't know if i saw that one 
you definitely did because I think we, Probably. we I think it was I think all three of us saw it, you, me, and Jocelyn, and we were all like pretty impressed with this super low oh, budget man. movie. It, there was a lot of drone stuff. Um, uh, it was like there was some really dark shit, like uh, <laughs> like the like the teenage girl like getting buried and stuff. If you remember that, um, it had to do with like a house that was a little bit haunted, I believe too. Um, I believe you. I just don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember at all. Yeah, I mean, we covered it last uh, June, so yeah, you know, yeah. I just don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember it at all. No, that's uh, cool. Uh, and, and then I think the the other thing that the other movie that I liked that I, I I'm still kind of stewing on a little bit it was are the secret screening. So the secret screening one I did not make it to, which was last night in Soho, um, which I was very mm-hmm. disappointed that I wasn't able to make it to that, but. Um, the second secret screening was um, a movie called Benedetta, which is a Paul Verhoeven movie. Um, yes. So, as you can probably expect, horny as hell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a, it's a movie about um, like a forbidden love between uh, like a, a nun and then someone who kind of comes into the nunnery uh, and. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and and so it's like a lesbian love film. That's sa- it says it's based on a, a book called uh, Immodest Acts, The Life of a Lesbian Nun in Renaissance mm-hmm. Italy. It's a pretty yes. matter-of-fact, straightforward subtitle there. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And, and that tells you what you need to know. And I, and I think, you know, I think that there were some really great performances. It's weird because, you know, being in Fantastic Fest, you know, when the, when the movies end, you know, people kind of gather around and talk about it. Uh, and... I heard a lot of people in the social groups that I was just kind of hanging around that people thought it was really boring and they were like, it put me to sleep. It's a lot. This movie's a lot of things and boring is not one of them. Uh, um, but, it, you know, I, I think the problem with the movie is that, you know, it's it sort of, I can't, it, it doesn't ever commit to either being like this true love story or this like religious kind of, um, uh, like this religious, you know, I don't want to say like criticism, but like kind of harsh on religion. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it, 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 it doesn't put its foot too firmly into either of those camps. And so I think it has this weird uh, like limbo that it's in a lot of the movie, but the performances are really great. Like it's got a really great score. It looks really pretty. Um, and, uh, and there's some very blasphemous things that happen. There are, are certain things <laughs> no. used as sex objects <laughs> uh, <laughs> that are, um, you know, perhaps a, uh, carvings of the virgin mary <laughs> but uh spoiler alert um but uh yeah i i i thought that it was enjoyable and, and that it had some good stuff in it and then you know i saw a lot of stuff that was middling and then there was a couple of things that kind of stirred a little controversy but yeah uh, i think i believe you told me about that one i don't know if we want to go into that one it's mm. a little complicated and it's a little complicated safe to say that there's a lot of buzz going around a movie called The Sadness that kind of I think it premiered at Fantasia Fest and um, and uh, as being like a really deranged and violent and crazy movie and for me it was very edge lordian uh, kind mm-hmm. of you know like um, kind of like the vibe that I would I would feel like that was the vibe of Fantastic Fest like six years ago I think that's like that fair would, like that would have been like wholly embraced. Yeah, I um, think so too. Before there's been, you know, some reckoning going on, but like 
you know, to me, it, it reminded me of like, have you ever seen Train to Busan? The um, like the zombie. I have not. No. Yeah, it's it it's it, it's like Train to Busan, but with none of the nuance. You know, because you know, Train to Busan is like um, you know, uh, um, uh, is like a zombie movie that takes place on a train that um that has this like family story at the core to it. Um, and this is sort of like a virus type of movie with zombie type characters that just has no nuance to it it's going for like that super shock gore kind of thing and and for me i i saw right through it it was very very um you know not not my jam but um yeah you know uh there i i still think the fest is really enjoyable again i you know and i'm it's you know i i think out of the movies i saw like half of them were foreign language films too if not more than half um, there was also an, an interesting thing too, the, a movie that I wanted to touch on real quick that I wish was better, but like, so do you, you're aware of Phil Tippett, right? Um, let me look him up. I'm not sure if I, if I know who Phil Tippett is. Yeah. I think you would know if you, if you like read his career. Um, okay. He's got like a, a, a bunch of uh, stop motion stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, and he also did, he worked on like, um, uh, Jurassic Park and stuff like he was a dinosaur supervisor on Jurassic Park mm-hmm. and um, and he worked on you know uh, a bunch of you know stop motion stuff and uh, yeah yeah so he was uh, um, yeah th- he's the guy that was going to do the stop motion for Jurassic Park and then uh, they decided to move to CGI mm-hmm. yeah Anyway. Yeah, and that, that, it's actually interesting because they had a little documentary before this where it talks like, you know, he was a stop motion animator and um, and then, you know, Jurassic Park was going to be CGI. And so they they sort of like pivoted into CGI after that, his company. And um, but anyway, it's there's his movie called Mad God uh, came out um, and uh, and it, it's like 20 years in the making of this like stop motion passion project. And and like just stunning stop. I, I really I, I find stop motion really interesting and and, and and like cool to watch. And it has like amazing stop motion where you can see like the progression of the technology over the years and stuff. But it is like a dialogueless, meandering kind of thing. Someone I saw someone on on a Facebook group um, compared it to a tool video, which I think yeah, I mean yeah yeah that's pretty that seems like a very apt comparison for like weird amazing stop motion mm-hmm. yeah and and so uh uh i, I think that you know it, i think it i saw another a couple of people not to steal other people's ideas but people talking about it as like a like a demo reel or a sizzle reel for stop motion and i think that again that's accurate the story wasn't quite there but man seeing that on the like seeing stop motion on the big screen i think it's something that's pretty rare that you we don't really see much of these days you know the last well, time I, mean, I can remember is like fantastic mr fox maybe yeah, I mean the the yeah, like the the Ardman stuff and the is it Leica mm-hmm. that did Coraline? Mhm. Um, I think so. You know, though it's funny um I mean that's a medium that's evolved so much that it's almost uh like it's this weird hybrid now. Um because there's so many uh digital effects in that being uh the removal of armatures and stuff. Yeah. That it's a weird mix of, of like, kind of like when they, uh, I, I've talked about this before, but when they take the rods, like they digitally remove the rods oh, from go. the Muppets. I know, no, I mean, it's, <laughs> seriously, it's like, well, what are you doing? Like, why is this? Yeah. Why? It, it's it's a weird mixture of technology. But yeah, I, I mean, it's, 
Um, yeah, I mean, Fantastic Mr. Fox is probably the last like one that looks most traditionally like stop motion that I've seen. Because mm-hmm. um, you yeah. can kind of see the fluctuations in the fur and. Which I, uh, I like the more traditional looking stop motion stuff. The the slicker stuff is still cool, but like I appreciate that old style. So anyway, I, I think it, it was it was fun. It's a fun experience. The festival, you know, remains extremely well run as well. Um, it was it was different. You know, um, usually it's an all day thing. This time the screenings during the week were starting at like six p.m. or seven p.m. Um, so the schedule was a little bit more condensed. There was only like three movies a day. Um, but um, all that being said, I uh, had a good time in Austin, and I'm looking forward to cracking into the uh, at-home version, which we'll be covering. Uh, there's a there's a documentary on Guar that I'm really looking forward to watching this week. So, is it uh, Odorous Urungus was the guy that died, right? Yeah, yeah. Did did didn't they try to like do a Viking funeral for him, or is that something I'm misremembering? I think so. I think that sounds, but I think they just like lit his costume on fire, not the actual guy. Yeah, but um. You got to do what you got to do, I guess. To but yeah, I'm, I'm, with the... I'm looking forward to this is Guar, which is the documentary. <laughs> uh, so, have you seen Guar live? Like six or seven times. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been ejaculated on by the giant penis? You betcha, man. It's, okay. Well, actually, it was blood that was ejaculated, but yes. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I guess anything can be ejaculated, right? Mm-hmm. Any liquid, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, anything else on that note? <laughs> anything else before we move on? No, no, no. We'll we'll cover some more next week. All right. Let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we have Venom. Let there be carnage. Lady, we should be out there snacking on bad guys. I am a predator. I need to be free. You have got to get control of your aggression. Or you will get hauled off into Area 51. You live in my body. You live by my rules. I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me. Please, let me fix it. So I can bring it again. You are a loser. Eddie Brock, I want to give you my story. People love serial killers please why me what's mine it's yours and what's yours is mine i have tasted blood before and that is not it This is, of course, the sequel to, I believe, 2018, 2019, uh, Venom. Um, I don't know when the first one came out. Uh, starring Tom Hardy. Uh, I fucking hated the first one. Um, <laughs> yep. It was one of the worst superhero movies I'd ever seen at the time. Um, this is the sequel. Um, a new director, Andy Serkis. Uh, still got Tom Hardy. Still have uh, uh, Woody Harrelson, who was introduced in a post credit scene of the first movie. Cody, tell us about Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and what you thought of it. Yeah, so um, I was also not a fan of uh, the first Venom movie, though I, I remember very, very little about it. I quickly tried to forget about it when I left the theater. 
Um, but I do remember finding it strange that Tom Hardy was involved, especially because Tom Hardy had become this kind of like prestige actor um, who was known for like high quality stuff. And um, and I was wondering what he was doing slumming it in a movie like that. Um, <laughs> but it, we had a tease at the end of the first Venom movie that was Woody Harrelson in a very different looking wig um, uh, at the end of that one. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and kind of like, uh, you know, hinting that there would be carnage, a carnage movie. And so, um, here we are. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's less of the setup and the kind of, uh, um, you know, I think in the first movie, what I remember is like the, the slapsticky nature of, uh, you know, him trying to fight with Venom and, and like his new body and his body being controlled or whatever. Um, I guess it's not body being controlled. I guess it's more of a... I guess it, it is at some parts. Um, who cares? But anyway... Uh, <laughs> getting, getting lost in the weeds of yeah, this. Yeah, don't want to get not, in the weeds on this. Not worth the time. Yeah. Um, it, it, but so, you know, we get this time around a story where, um, you know, uh, Woody Harrelson's character kind of um, is threatening... Is on death row and, and, um, uh, and, and escapes and, and kind of threatens... Eddie Brock's life, who's, uh, I guess, like a journalist who's on the rise now because... Look, <laughs> he's back man, on top. He's back on top. And, <laughs> According and he's to one of the to say it. Yeah. It's like literally... It literally says that... It, there's literally a line in the movie that says, Eddie Brock is back on yeah. top. <laughs> so look, man, here, here's the thing about this is that um, I am baffled by the tone of this movie because... It is like the the humor in it is so fucking lame. Like it's just like <laughs> the script is so corny and cheesy. The jokes are so the jokes are terrible, but like the jokes are often like 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 it, it it's this sort of like um like Venom and Eddie are ro- like roommates or like a like an odd couple pairing kind of thing. Right. And like Venom is just like really sassy and and like <laughs> He's oh. like a, a a murderous elf. Yeah, yeah, that's a good like, way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, but but it's just so corny and like, and and the jokes are 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 really terribly written, and his quips are terrible, and there's scenes where, you know, he becomes like the king of a party at one point, <laughs> wearing glow sticks, and like, and, and I'm asking myself like, who is this for? Because it tries to do this like re- like really slapsticky, corny, cheesy humor mixed in with like uber violence, right? And so, it it, it the the tonal mix here is just an, a nightmare and, and a disaster to try to follow. And I just found myself wondering, like again, who is this for? Because if it was just based on the humor, like the lighthearted tone of it feels like there's a scene where Venom is like cooking and singing and stuff. Like <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And it's just, it's just excruciating for me. It's just not enjoyable. You said earlier that Venom is one of the more, the, like the worst comic books movies that you had seen up until that point. Look, man, I missed a lot of the, the 2000 stuff. Like I've never seen any of the earlier fantastic four movies, but, but I can't imagine a comic book movie these days being worse than what this is um you know it to me it has nothing really redeeming about it like i said the humor sucks and it's really corny um tom hardy is is too good for this the the, the dialogue is really terrible michelle williams again is slumming it in something <laughs> like this 
Um, I just I just found very little redeeming about it. You know, I think that the 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 Venom and Carnage action sequences can be okay at times. You know, to look at, but um, you know, it's just a it's just a really dumb story about like like a falling out of a friendship. Ultimately, what is what it's at its core, and it's just you know, Venom is just such a annoying, obnoxious character <laughs> with um with like a sense of humor that's just completely off. I just did not find any of the like I every, every joke that it that it has just lands with a thud to me. So I did not have a good time with this. So I hate I, I mentioned that I hated the first movie. This one I still didn't like, but I didn't hate it near as much. I don't know if it was because I was expecting because my expectations had been been tamped down, um, there's a certain kind of gonzo weirdness to this whole thing that I think works in little tiny bits. I think all of the jokes are pretty bad, except here and there there's something that's kind of chuckle-worthy. And, and maybe I'm being a little too generous, but the, the, there's a scene where uh, a Venom... Venom uh, escapes, like he leaves Eddie Brock, and he has to keep like picking up uh, different hosts, and he ends up at what I assume is is some sort of gay pride event, right? Um, and, and the there's there's a a scene where he you uh, takes a microphone. Everyone thinks he's he like everyone thinks Venom is this just awesome costume because it's apparently a costume party also. Um, there's a scene where he takes the microphone and makes a lot, makes like a very honest speech, but that has a lot of like, um, you know, parallels to, to someone coming out, um, which is stupid as shit, but damn it. If I didn't like chuckle under my breath a little bit at it. Oh, well, don't worry. It's not, it's not subtly about that because at some point he says, I'm coming out. Venom says. No, I know. I know. I mean, but it's like that classic sort of sitcom misunderstanding style of, of, you know, this guy's talking about something completely different, but he's literally talking to the crowd. Anyway, um, that said, I don't know what the fuck is happening with Woody Harrelson and, and Naomi Harris in this movie. They are bonkers, batshit, stupid characters that make no sense in real life. Um, it, it, even in this movie's deranged universe, I don't get what's happening with them. Yeah. Like, I don't understand it. Uh, and, so like Woody Harrelson is this condemned killer uh who just wanted to be friends with Eddie Brock apparently but bit him and became carnage uh by sucking his blood essentially and Naomi Harris is his like long lost girlfriend who's also apparently some sort of mutant yeah um and and, and they're both just kind of patently bored, like just across the board evil like they don't care like there's no redeeming qualities to them i just don't i don't understand what what the fuck was happening with that and then uh uh you have stephen graham who i don't remember if he was in the first movie or not um i don't think that he was i like that you have uh both him and tom hardy like two british dudes like bouncing off these like these goomba italian accents in san francisco it's whatever whatever the fuck is supposed to be happening with tom hardy's accent um anyway he's has a very big part and then has like a weird teaser at the end i don't know what's happening with that i'm not i don't know if he's a comic book character that i'm not aware of um that's Mm -hmm. all that said i think the only thing people are gonna 
takeaway from this movie is what happens in the mid-credits scene. Yeah. And for better or worse, um, that's the big thing that I think is going to be pulled away from, from this. And I'm going to spoil it right now. So if you haven't seen the movie, stop listening or watching whatever you're doing. Are you going to tag? Are you going to spoiler zone this? I'm going to spoiler zone it, but I'm just going to I'm going to do a, an audible spoiler zone. I'm not going to throw in the the audio because I don't have it set up on here. Uh, we paid but good, good money for that clip. I I should probably set it up on here. But mid credit sequence, uh, you have Venom trying to show Eddie Brock the uh, like the knowledge of his alien alien species, and it's some somehow that triggers or it it coincides with. A uh, dimensional shift, which throws Eddie Brock into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, yep. and he sees uh, um, uh, shit. What's his name? I forget the actor's name. J.K. Simmons. Uh, yes, J. Jonah Jameson revealing Spider-Man's identity, uh, which of course uh, Venom is a uh, Spider-Man villain from the comic book days. Venom himself was actually a costume of Spider-Man's. That's his origin story. He was an alien costume. Um, and yet another character to keep Peter Parker from having his own movie um, at this point. So, yes. So you see Tom Holland. Um, and so presumably, maybe uh, Venom shows up in Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, which, again, like well, there- you mentioned... I mean, I think I think it's clear right now that they're building a Sinister Six into No Way Home based on you know having Doc Ock and Green Goblin teased in in the uh, in the in the teaser. Yeah, um, and then Electro supposedly coming back, and uh, yeah, I mean, again, you're got you've got this Spider-Man movie. Uh, you're they're basically building a live action into the Spider Verse at this point. Um, but I think it is somewhat interesting that this really dark take is going to be part of that Marvel universe, at least in a small little way. Um, and this is, I believe that these are the only Marvel movies that have used the word fuck or Marvel mm. adjacent movies. Um, unless you're, unless you're going to count like, you know, Logan or something, Logan and Deadpool, but yeah. Or like there, there was that Marvel sub Marvel dark or whatever, where they had like the Punisher war zone and stuff, which is pretty, but that was that's yeah. That but I mean, that's unrelated. And I I believe uh, and the I believe they cursed in the Netflix shows too, which yeah. I I don't know what their canon uh, is officially, but anyway, um, that's really the only thing I think anyone's going to take away from this movie. And for better or worse, it was a stepping stone to get Venom into this crowded ass Spider Man universe. Yay. So um, take a, take with that what you will. I you know. I don't know, man. This it. I think the best part about this movie it's fucking short. I mean, it's it's like an hour and a half, like tops. So you know, at least it didn't stick around too long. I, I don't. I didn't hate it as much as I hated the first one, but I, I still did not like it. Uh, you know, and I, I'm not necessarily a big fan of the the characterization of of Venom and and Tom Hardy. I don't know what Tom Hardy's doing. I mean, he's just he's a fucking weirdo in this, in these movies. Um, but at least it was better than whatever the hell Woody Harrelson was doing. Also supposed to be playing like a 40 year old, I think. Yeah. Something like anyway. that. 
Anyway, what's your grade for uh, Let There Be Carnage, Cody? Um, I'm giving it a um, a, a D. The D. I'm just gonna go straight. A D. D. Wow. Yeah, I hated it. I hated um, it. I'm gonna give it a a, a C because I didn't I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I didn't like it. But um, whatever, man. It's in theaters now. If you want to watch it, um, you know, stick around for the mid credit scene. <sighs> anyway, let's move on to our last movie, The Many Saints of Newark. What do you want, Richard? I'll be honest with you. I I want to do a good deed. I want to do a lot more. The best things in life are free. I try to set an example for my nephew. Give them to the birds and bees. Anthony got kicked out of school. I went through all that trouble. And for what? I'm always being accused. You gotta be good. That's what I want. I want to do whatever I can to help the family. That's what I want. Don't get everything, it's true. What it don't get, I can't use. I want money. Wonder what they talk about in there. I didn't catch the name. Pussy. <laughs> Put him on the table. I think I just got this jacket. You know, I, I try so hard. This is a prequel to um, one of my favorite TV shows of all time and, and probably the, um, I would say the kickoff to uh, prestige television, uh, HBO's The Sopranos, uh, ran from 1999 to 2007. This is a uh, prequel movie, so to speak, uh, set roughly 30 years before that to begin with and then into the 70s. Um one of my, it's something I've been waiting for for a while now. Um, I'm a huge, huge Sopranos fan. Um, watched the original series. I've probably gone through it like five times in the last 14 years. Um, anyway, uh, but this is uh, ostensibly a standalone movie, premiered in theaters and on HBO Max. Cody, you haven't seen The Sopranos, so tell us about The Many Saints of Newark and what you thought of it. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll keep my comments brief. Uh, and, and let you take over most of this because I have never seen a single frame of The Sopranos. Um, I was, I think, maybe a little bit young when it first hit and just yeah. uh, never never went back for it. It's been something I've been meaning to do, um, but just never have. So, you know, going into the movie, um, uh, you know, I, I didn't know, I, I, was, I was honestly not planning to watch it um, because I wanted to see The Sopranos first. And uh, and you convinced me to watch it um, to to get the perspective of someone who was going in cold and you know does it work as a standalone? And the answer to that question for me is kinda. You know, <laughs> I, I think that you know, I think it's apparent pretty early on that there are. Um, I, I think something more obvious than just Easter eggs here, where um, you know the world that it comes into feels lived in, but. Um, unless you know what's going on, I think you're going to be a little bit lost. You know, I started to gather, um, you know, you can put pieces together from just context in here, but it seems like most of, it seemed to me like most of the characters here were playing younger versions of characters that were established on the show mm -hmm. um, with like inside jokes and, and references and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, for me, 
the the thing that I think it struggles with as a standalone is that I'm not sure that the story at the center that it's telling is all that compelling. Um, I, I think that it, it it's actually a pretty uh, mundane crime story that's going on, and I think that it 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 sort of tries to be more epic than I think it actually ends up being. Um, you know, I, I saw a comment that someone made that they tried to put a season's worth of television into two hours, and I think that's probably a fair comparison or a, a fair comment. Um, yeah, you, you know, I, the I think the best part about it is is certainly I think Alessandro Nivola's performance, um, mm-hmm. who plays uh, Dicky in the movie. Um, who I think is really, uh, really good um, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the part. I think that some actors don't really make it out that well. I, I, was, I, I thought that Ray Liotta was like extremely over the top, uh, and I think that was kind of the point maybe. But for me, um, Ray Liotta seemed a little bit out of place for me. He personally. plays a weird dual role too. Yeah. Um, and one that I'll get into in, when I talk about it, but one that I'm not sure – is isn't like a, a voice uh, isn't like a like a what am i trying to say like a, a conscience like the voice of yeah. someone's conscience yeah i i think for me the thing that i that i come out of this with is like is this something where i feel like it would have felt necessary had i seen the show or something that would have been like an important companion piece or something that filled out the story or the or the lore of the show and for me again i don't think any of the goings ons going ons were all that interesting i think like i said the story that that it's telling at the center of it i think is pretty tame and 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 uninteresting and i think it's it's more of a character play than anything else like a character story character study and um and i think as a character study of dicky it's pretty interesting but i think that um, nobody else really gets um, a lot to do here, and I think that I mean maybe I think I think maybe it suffers from having the ensemble get a little bit of a moment there to provide context to their characters in the show. That's that's what I got from it. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, um, I, I I was not all that enthralled with the story at heart, and so as a standalone crime movie, it seemed like a like like a, a bit of a um, you know a, a very mundane crime movie. <sighs> yeah, you know, um the th- the thing about it is it doesn't really there's exactly one revelation in the movie if you've seen the show. Like there's one thing, there's one blank filled in that you didn't know about if you've seen the Sopranos. I'm not going to say what it is. But there's one thing that happens in the film that when you're watching it, you say, oh, okay, well, then that adds this nuance to a character that's in the film that has a, a role in the future. The problem is, and look, there, there's a time, there, there are these movies like this where the movie's not great. Um, there may be good performances or whatever, but it's just about being back in that world and I think this is one of those those situations. Like this is absolutely inessential um, for like this story of what happens to Dicky Moltisanti 
is conveyed in one of the episodes of the series already. There's a, an episode that describes what happened to him. So as soon as you hear, as soon as the word, t, for, for example, as soon as the word TV trays is brought up, you're like, okay, Dickie's going to die because that's what he was carrying into the house when he was killed. That's not a spoiler. That's that's from an episode that aired in fucking 2002. Mm-hmm. So the problem with it is that as a fan, there's nothing really revelatory about it. You know, I, I kind of went into this thinking this was going to be about the relationship between the character of Dickie Moltisanti and Tony Soprano, who in this film is played by James Gandolfini's son, Michael Gandolfini, who I think does does a good job. Um, it's a huge shadow to live in, huge shoes to fill. I mean, Gandolfini died like seven years ago or so. And I mean, this is, it was a, a just a, a powerhouse performance in The Sopranos. I, I was hoping it would be more about that, like kind of the influence. Here, I don't know that you really get a sense of their relationship other than what the movie tells you. Um, and, you know, to, to kind of, you know, uh, to replay like the story we know of, of Dickie's how Dickie dies. Like, I, I just, I don't, I don't, I'm disappointed that it's, that it wasn't more, you know, I, there's some, there's some, like I said, there's a few moments of like revelation in there. Um, you know, the, the, the Sopranos is a very like oddly spiritual show. Um, and a lot about like the meaning of dreams and visions and things like that. Um, so you know, I, I do think there is some of that at play. I think it doesn't tip its hand enough toward it. Like I think that one of the roles Ray Liotta plays, I I see as, I don't think is a real person mm-hmm. or it at least is not that version of the real person. I don't know. Um, then there's, there's uh, something that happens um at the end that I'm not really terribly sure what's going on I, I think Leslie Odom jr gets a I think he's got a few great scenes I think his story doesn't get it, get enough of the of the of the screen time um I don't know man it's it, it's this is I'm I'm more than happy to go back into the world of the sopranos I'm not as so thrilled that it was just kind of a rehashing of a story we've already heard, uh, with a couple of like little tiny bits of new information. And then a bunch of guys doing impressions of, you know, (laughs) Steve Van Zandt and, uh, other people in the movie. Uh, you know, I don't think it's bad. I do think it's a slight, slightly disappointing, uh, version of what I thought it was going to be. And again, um, I think this would have done better as some sort of series. You know, this is, again, this is some sort of, uh, like who, what you mentioned, uh, you know, a, a, a season's worth of TV crammed into two hours. And that was the thing about the Sopranos was it was a slow burn and it wasn't always like serialized. That's another thing too. Like sometimes you'd pick up an episode like two months later, uh, the next episode would be, and it didn't necessarily relate to what happened before, except for minor, minor storylines. It wasn't like you picked up right where something left off. Um, you know, I don't, I don't dislike it and I had a good time with it. And I am, I did start watching it again. I saw it in a, a press screening at a theater because I was very eager to see it. 
Um, and I've started watching it again at home, and I think it plays a little better on TV than mm-hmm. it did in a theater. Um, you know, that said, though, I, I wish it were a little more of a standalone. I don't mind the Easter eggs. I don't mind that you have younger guys playing or different guys playing the younger characters. But I wish it were just not a story that we'd seen before. Like, for example, uh, the scene where uh, Tony sees his dad get arrested at the carnival. Mm-hmm. Uh, they that literally is a reshot scene from one of the first season episodes. Like they shot a flashback, like they reshot this flashback scene. I, I mean, it's like, wh- why are we revisiting this stuff? We know it, but and then and that's another thing. John Barenthal has almost nothing to do. Yep. Um, and Vera Farmiga is good, but she has almost nothing to do either. Uh, I just wish that it was was a little more fleshed out in like a story of. Dickie and Tony as opposed to Dickie and whoever. Well, that's 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 exactly what I was saying is that it, the, the character focus is like a revolving door where mm-hmm. no real character aside from Dickie gets any sort of depth to them. Like, again, like you said, Vera Farmiga has, you know, is, is really good in it. But, you know, to me, that was just maybe providing more context to that character in the show. And like, I, I think you're like... Or I don't know. It's, it's well, it would it would lead to it, it, in my mind it would lead to the Tony's gravitating toward Dicky because in the show his mother is kind of a, a sociopath as well who is is a, a a thorn in all of her kids' side. I mean she's a terrible the ter- character is terrible. So it would mean to me it would mean her like you know, pushing Tony more and more toward Dicky. And that's really what I thought the movie was going to be. I thought it was going to be Tony and Dickie. Like, how did this character, how did these, how did Dickie influence Tony? Because the movie is narrated by uh, Tony, uh, Dickie's son Christopher, who's a huge character in The Sopranos. Um, anyway, it's it's. I think it's just too scattershot. I think it tries to to do too much. Um. Anyway, what's your grade for Many Saints of Newark, Cody? I'm gonna have to give it a C plus. I think that it's 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 just short of being enjoyable, but I was finding myself wondering why I should care about any of it as a standalone. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm gonna go B minus. Um, I mean, I think it's I think it's a decent enough movie. I think obviously it it helps massively to know The Sopranos, but even then, I think it's a little bit disappointing, um, just because it's it's a little too unfocused. And it, it feels like just sort of a greatest hits of here's the character you love. Now it's a younger dude. Now it's yeah. Billy Magnuson playing this guy. <laughs> uh, but it is available now on HBO Max. Um, I'm curious. I, I, uh, I, I set up HBO Max so my dad could watch this because he's a huge Sopranos fan too, but I haven't had a chance to ask him if he's watched it yet. So I'm curious what <laughs> he's thought. He, he loves the, so, the sociopathic stuff Tony does just because it's funny it's played for laughs, laughs. yeah not not that he's a sociopath but anyway that's gonna do it for this week next week cody finally james bond no time to die mm-hmm. all two hours and 43 minutes of it. oh yeah. yeah i don't really know i mean i'm uh, i'm not a i i'm not a big bond fan at all um but uh you know powering through it but uh, we get through that so that we can get to a movie that I saw at Sundance back in January that, uh, spoiler alert, remains uh, still, uh, and I need to watch it again, but um, in my memory, the best thing I've seen all year, which is a movie called Mass, 
mm-hmm. um, that we will be covering. And then uh, we'll we'll probably find a third. I know that there's some stuff. That I, I think Lamb might be coming out, and maybe we'll cover oh, Lamb. Oh, boy. Um, we'll see. Yeah, um, the the No Time to Die. Uh, speaking of Bond, like I think I've I'm I haven't seen any of the like the Sean Connery ones or Roger Moore or even Timothy Dalton. Um, I did quite like Skyfall with with uh, Daniel Craig, but I don't think I really liked anything else. I liked Goldeneye back in the old days, but you didn't like Casino Royale. I thought it was all right. I didn't like uh, the shoehorning in of Texas Hold'em. That seemed very not European <laughs> uh, because it was huge at the time. What was that, 2005 Casino Royale came out? Something like that, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, that's, uh, yeah. So if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. You can find us on Twitter at Cinesnob, Facebook, Cinesnob Critic, um, YouTube.com slash Cinesnob, Cody, How's uh, the ramble doing? Is are y'all back on any kind of schedule? Or are you taking some time off? Or no, we're uh, we're we're we've got a little time off letting uh, letting our boy Jerry uh, get healthy. So um, yeah, uh, TBD on that. Hopefully, maybe in a couple of weeks we'll get back to it. Cool. Um, oh yeah, you can see me. I'll be at uh, Big Texas Comic Con next week, uh, hosting some panels for the first time in a couple years. Nice. Um, doing the Cobra Kai panel again. Good times there. Um, and I think I'm doing uh, Doug Jones. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, big, tall, skinny actor you've, who's been in probably every monster movie you've seen the last 30 years. But Pan's Labyrinth, Shape of Water, a big Del Toro collaborator. Yeah, um, he's in that Star Trek show, uh, Discovery. I think he actually has a speaking part in that movie. So our uh, TV show um, should be fun. I couldn't get the Giancarlo Esposito panel, but maybe someone will back out and I'll take that one. So, mm. Anyway, that's next weekend at uh, the uh, Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center. Cool. A place that um, has been like totally torn down and rebuilt, apparently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Uh, it's nice in there. Yeah. Uh, anything else before we go, Cody? No, I think we're good. All right. On that note, I am Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.